enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And Coach's Corner is back. We have the one and only, our favorite guest, the one who gets recommended more than anybody else, Sarah Bishop. She's back. But today, we are not talking about her unbelievable performances, which she puts out constantly, just on the regular. She is a running and triathlete extraordinaire. But today, we're talking about coaching. So she is also a full-time coach who coaches dozens and dozens of dedicated amateur runners just like you. And So do I. And so we talk about the importance of racing in this episode. This is something that, frankly, just not that we just something that we haven't done a lot in the past year to year and a half. And we all know why. But race entries are surging. There are a boatload of marathons this coming fall. And people are just just so excited to get back into the racing season. So we wanted to talk all about that, not only what we should be doing now in terms of getting ready for racing, but why it's so important and how to think about our race schedule and how to approach a race, just generally speaking, because frankly, it's been such a long time since we've done it. So her and I go completely in depth into this episode, and it's just so exciting to talk with her This is something that, for a lot of you, you know me as a podcaster, but I am also a running coach, and that is one of the the highlights of my life. So I was really excited to to engage with Sarah on this topic and really get into it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Bishop. We are here, America's favorite rambling runner guest. Sarah Bishop is back in the house. Sarah, Welcome back to the show. Are you my co-host at this point? I feel like you are. Oh, my God. It's been a long time. It really has been. It's been almost a year now. So that's reasonable, right? <laughs> I think so. I, th- yeah, I think between true. between the two podcasts, we are definitely in double digits at this point. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I am so excited. Um, we're going to be talking about racing today. Yes, my favorite topic. There you go. Exactly. Especially for so many people who have signed up for fall races and are pumped, haven't raced in a while. So like the normal anxiety they're going to feel, they're going to feel it probably even more so. But today isn't just any day. Today's actually the first day of the Olympic trials. So race day for pros and amateurs all around. That's true. Exactly. Yeah, this is exciting. So I'm just really happy that racing's back and that we're in a position to to talk about how we can, you know, how racing helps you and how everyone can jump back in it, you know? Absolutely. One of the key things that you and I have talked about over and over again, and you've delved into this, just your personal experience, is just that racing as a skill is something that it's not like riding a bike where, boy, what a bad, what a bad choice of words to talk about with a triathlete. But it's, um, it's not like once you learn what racing feels like and what it is, it just stays with you. That this there's needs to this constant sharpening that goes along with that. Um, what's been your experience with that? As someone who races all the time, I would imagine uh, just from an outsider's point of view, them being like, "Yeah, but Sarah Bishop doesn't have to practice racing. She races more than anybody." But what's the actual truth in terms of your evolution as, as getting used to racing and preparing for racing? So, in my mind, racing is an extreme uh, version of training. 
I mean, if you think about it in training, what you're trying to do is hold a faster pace for longer periods of time. And racing would be the extreme version of that. So in order to get better uh, at, you know, what you're trying to perfect, you need to practice it, you know, and that's, you know, that's racing. Um, You know, there's a couple different reasons for this. Um, The shorter the race, the more the physical stimulus matters. Uh, Because, for example, in training, you know, let's say you're training for a one-mile race, right? You will cover the entire distance of a one-mile race at pace in practice broken up, right? So the mental component is like, oh, you know, I could see myself doing that in a race. I could see myself stringing that together because you've done the entire distance of the race, you know, at pace in practice. But as far as actually doing it, you know, you've not put that kind of effort, you know, in a physical sense, um, stringing that pace together for the entire distance without stopping. So you got to practice that. Your body doesn't know what that feels like. And if you just, we think about last year when we did the McCurdy one mile series, which was kind of interesting. We did a, you know, a series of four one miles over whatever, six or eight weeks. And people improve their time by, you know, maybe upwards of 10 seconds, maybe even more. And it wasn't because they were gaining physical fitness. It was because they were practicing that hard effort that their body had never done before and can't produce when you're just training, you know? So in my mind, that's part of how racing makes you better in the shorter distances. If you want to talk about the longer distances, it's more of the mental component because let's talk about the marathon, right? You're never going to run (laughs) 26 miles at marathon pace in practice, you know, no matter how you swing it, no matter breaking it up, you know, for 26 one mile repeats. I mean, I would, we would never do that. You know, it's just not, that's just not how this this is. This isn't a John L. Parker novel. It's not how we typically train. (laughs) So in practice, you know, maybe you're doing upwards of 16 miles at marathon pace or 18 miles a little bit slower than marathon pace, you know, 20 seconds per mile slower than marathon pace. So you're thinking, gosh, how am I going to do 26 miles at this pace in a race? So the mental, com- it's the mental component that, that, uh, that we need there because the further you get away from your VO2 max, the less physically uncomfortable it is, but the more mentally uncomfortable it is, right? Especially so, if when you say like physically comfortable, I, I immediately think of like just like a respiration standpoint, right? Like obviously a marathon can be uncomfortable in many other ways. Yeah, it, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, the respiration standpoint, the level of, um, yeah, the where your heart rate's at, you know, just the pure level of lactic acid you're dealing with, right? When you're doing a shorter distance race, it's much more, it's much more uncomfortable in that sense. But a longer distance race is not. So, um, so, so yeah. So, so you have to practice what you want to. Now, if you now you could say, well, can you still get physically fit? Can you still gain fitness without racing? Yes, you can. But it might be a lot harder because here's the thing: if you're you, if I'm training an athlete for a specific time in a race. You know, I'm giving them very specific training, very specific paces. It's going to be really hard to do those kind of workouts and and make those workouts really hard when you're not, when you don't have a race four to six weeks away, you know? And the other part of that is you might not have the motivation to do them. 
And then you don't actually know where your fitness is at unless you jump in a race, you know, for the reality check of it. You can say, well, I can do these workouts. I should be able to do X in a race. That's true. But can you? You know, so you do need that reality check to see where you're at, you know? And then, of course, we all have bad workouts, right? And just things don't come together. Uh, it's the same thing on a race day. You I always tell my athletes, like, give yourself two or three shots in the season to run that half marathon PR, you know? First of all, for the reality check of where your fitness really is at, you know, and then for the the mental aspect and physical aspect of actually getting out there and doing it, you know, and then for just the sake of having it all come together, you know, there's just all these different things at play that you can't expect to put a race on a calendar five months away and just hope for the best, you know. Absolutely. All right. So let's dive into the different parts of the races. Obviously, every race is going to be different. Like you mentioned, like miles of the marathon, there's different things are getting tested and all of that stuff. So um, we don't have to get into like every potential race scenario or every single race distance. Um, but there are certain things that about a race that are different than training and something that needs to be repeated in order to, in order to almost be comfortable with being uncomfortable in a certain race setting. Right. And some of those things is pre-race, right? Anyone who's been at a race has had that experience of like just the nerves surrounding that. And I think of like, all right, doing your warm up, you know, your warm up two miles or whatever, and your warm up strides and the need to piss every 45 seconds for an hour. And like you're at the starting line and you're like, I peed 10 times in the last 30 minutes. How come I have to pee right now? Like, God help me. I'm going to pee my shorts at this starting line. Like all these things, which are, um, objectively, like, all right, I should be able to handle that. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal. But these things are like become more valuable as you get into it and learning how to go through that process. That's true. That's true. The more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get. But I tell you, Matt, it's bad now with me. I race so much. There are times I just snooze the alarm and I'm like <laughs> doing my, I'm like, it's an hour to the race. I got to drive there still. You know, I got to warm up. You know, I'm just like, too comfortable because I do it so often, right? So it's like not a big deal anymore. So that's good and bad, you know? Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Like, I mean, I'm still always anxious and nervous because it's exciting because you think, oh, what can I do today? You know, I've trained to do this and I, I want to see if I can. I hope that I can. I don't know what's going to happen, you know? Um, but you're right. Some athletes are so, um, don't know how to handle that anxiety. And of of pre race, even in the race in the, in the in the days leading up to the race, that they don't race at all, and they're selling themselves short. They're they're really um you know delaying themselves from reaching their goals because they're too nervous to go through all of that because they're scared of what may or may not happen during the race or on race day because this the whole pre race. Uh, anxiety, you know, whether it's like right before the race or in the days leading up, it's just too much for them to handle, you know, but the more you do it, the better you get um, calming yourself down, um, you know, being one with your thoughts, accepting the fact that you don't know what's going to happen, but that you're going to go out there and do the best that you can. And that that's going to be enough that at the end of the day, 
if you go out there in the race and um, you don't give up and you do everything you can, you know, uh, and control what you can control, then that's got to be an effort that you're proud of, even if you're not happy with the result. Um, and so if you come to peace with that, then you're much more likely to, to want to race more and not be afraid of it, you know? Hey, folks. The VCU Health Richmond Marathon returns to downtown Richmond, Virginia on Saturday, November 13th. Whether you take part in the marathon, the CarMax Richmond Half Marathon, or the Allianz Partners 8K, Richmond provides phenomenal course support, great fall scenery, and awesome finisher swag. In the marathon, you'll run through scenic sections of Richmond along the beautiful James River. The marathon is a top 25 Boston qualifier, and the course is mostly flat with some rolling hills. You kind of want that rolling hills. You know, those are nice because you start using different muscles instead of it being perfectly flat. Um, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. This, that's not in their ad copy, but I think it is important to know that, uh, which is all great for first-timers. And best of all, is a downhill finish right on the riverfront. The VCU Health Richmond Marathon organizers know the running community is resilient and that your desire to cross the finish line remains strong. They've proven their ability to create an experience tailor-made to fit the needs of all runners. Your safety and the safety of the community are their top priorities. To be a part of America's friendliest marathon, visit www.richmondmarathon.org to register now. And to be sure to beat the July 1st price increase. That's right. July 1st price increases go up, I think, $15. So, hey, if you're going to run it, sign up now. You might as well, right? So come discover the River City and cross the finish line this November. Hey, everybody. Do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. 
And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that getting my vitamins and minerals from, from foods is probably the best way to do it, but I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Absolutely. And let's talk about just the physical cues that people often feel pre-race as they're getting ready, right? So we have like that, those feelings of like, all right, your heart rate is going up. You have that, again, I'm not gonna put like titles on it, whether it's good or bad, but like you have like that, that anxiety type feeling where it's like, you're uncertain, you're maybe a little anxious, right? Your heart rate is a little higher than normal, right? You have that feel that kind of leads into like, maybe like you're doing your warm up a little bit faster than you normally would, stuff like that. And it, it reminds me of, again, I'm, I can't say like I've been to any of his conferences or anything, but I remember listening to a, um, a a talk by Tony Robbins, and he was talking about how basically comparing, I think it was Carol Carpenter or someone like that, so singer from, from Bayback and about Bruce Springsteen, and talking about how the physical feelings that they felt right before they went on stage and how they described them in the exact same way, like the, the exact same physical things happening in their body, the way they described them. And for Carol Carpenter, she had this huge thing with stage fright. She's like, I'm scared to go out there. And then Bruce Springsteen was saying the exact same physical cues was happening to him. And he's like, I'm excited. And it's so easy to sometimes misread how we're feeling. Of like, am I actually scared here? Or am I just so excited and I'm so primed and ready that that I'm kind of misreading what's happening? And I'm actually like, this is how I should feel at a starting line if I want to really go at this the way I want to, as opposed to like easing into a workout being like, all right, what I got 50 minutes here. All right. I guess I can fit it in. And then just making it happen. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Whatever you're feeling. And I think it's a whole mix of that excitement, anxiety, nervousness. It's because you care, you know, and you have to care. Um, you know, th- that's why we go out there and training and do these hard workouts day in and day out because you, you care about your goals and you care about the result. Um, and you want it to go the way that you're hoping. So it's kind of a catch 22. If you're lined up at the starting line and you don't feel any of that, 
do you not really care? You know, like, why are you even doing this? You know, but at the same time, we're all nervous. Like when we get to the starting line and we do feel those nerves and anxiety, it's not a super comfortable feeling. Uh, but it, I feel like it is a mix of all of that. Um, you know, just excitement, anticipation, um, you know, nervousness, um, what ifs, um, cause you just don't really, you know, you've, you've done, you've done the work, uh, physically, you know, you think you're physically fit and ready to go produce, um, you're nervous about how it's going to feel mentally because you haven't done the exact kind of thing in a, you know, in training that you're going to do today. Like a race is just not the effort in a race mentally and physically is, is much higher, right? It's much more extreme than that of your training. So it is all of this, of, of these things. Um, but, uh, but it's normal, right? It's normal. And I think you have to feel that way in order to, um, to really care about what you're doing. So, um, anybody who's lined up at the start line, you know, who has trained for their goals is going to feel that kind of anticipation in some way or another. And that's, you know, I think that's part of, um, what we just have to accept, you know, whether you like it or not. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's both exciting, but also uncomfortable, you know, at the same time. So definitely mixed feelings. I love you use the word acceptance there. I couldn't agree more. It's about accepting that feeling and embracing it. Really. Um, there are times where it can feel overwhelming to embrace that feeling, right? You feel like you're going to come out of your own skin. And in those cases, both what I've recommended to my athletes and what I've done on my own, and I've done both of I've done, I've done both sides of this, so I know how it's affected me personally. And this is a really kind of an individualistic thing, is kind of trying to focus outside of yourself. Once you've kind of embraced that, all right, this is part of the deal. This is what it means to race, right? It's like, okay, work with, you know, talk to the people around you. Hey, how are you doing? What are you hoping to do today, right? Kind of like go outside of yourself instead of like, the mental gymnastics of staying inside your own head for those 20 minutes as you're getting ready to start, it can feel like eternity for all of us. But sometimes when we're, whether you're there with a group and it's really easy to kind of bring out that social side or you're just there solo, you can find that most people there solo too. And they're probably feeling the same way you are. And having those moments where you can go outside of yourself and, and, and think about somebody else, I feel like it eases the burden a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely comforting to know that other people are feeling the exact same thing as you, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I enjoy, you know, talking to everybody around me about, you know, the race and how they're feeling. Because it's, like I just said, it's it's comforting knowing, like, we're really all feeling the same way, you know, no matter, you know, what kind of fitness we're in or what our goals are. You know, we're all out here doing the same thing, you know? Um, so that is, that is super fun. Um, and I, I like that too, because yeah, it, it does take your mind off your own thoughts, you know, um, and just kind of puts you at ease a little bit more. For sure. All right. Let's talk about pacing because pacing in a, in a race, any distance here, this is like pretty general. Pacing in a race can be tricky, right? And especially if you haven't raced a certain distance in a long time or raced at all in a while. Um, and there's, there's certain, you know, depending on the race and depending what people are used to doing, things that there are there are different strategies with pacing. Whether it's hey, you should negative split or you should try to make it even pace. There are some like 
and I've seen some things, but like the mile, I think Steve Magnus put some stuff out where it's like almost like a really shallow U where you started a little bit, a little bit faster than norm, than the pace you're ultimately going to run. You dip a little bit in the middle ish, and then you kind of go back up at the end. And that was like, they have found that to be kind of, kind of common for elite milers. I think that's different too, because those are on the track. So you want to like find a spot in the group. That's why they kind of go out pretty hard in the beginning, especially with a rabbit. But there's a lot of different ways of pacing. However, in a race, it's different than a workout where you're like, oh, that rep was a little fast, whatever. Go on to the next rep. You know, in a race, you're trying to string this whole thing together. So let's talk about athletes in terms of what you advise them to do in order to pace appropriately early on and kind of like the what if situation of if they don't do that, what's kind of the next step and how do we think about it? Well, I tell my athletes, if you want to meet your goal, you better stick to the race plan. (laughs) (laughs) But no, so this is why you are right, though. Um, Especially like in the marathon, this is why you on you can't race a marathon a lot. But this is why you know trying to practice that you know you know if you're gonna if you really want to improve your marathon time, or doing one a couple times a year is important because you have to know how you're supposed to feel in the race, right? Uh, In order to get the best out of yourself. And I know for myself, like when I first started marathoning, I didn't know how I was supposed to feel for the first six miles. And it is supposed to feel super easy, you know? And so uh, you're going out too fast because you're used to running half marathons and shorter distances where it feels a little harder. And you can't wrap your head around the fact that you have three hours of running because <laughs> you've never done it, you know, and that you need to go out a lot slower. So, but the when, when you do it a couple times, then you realize, oh, yeah, okay, now I know how the effort is supposed to feel, you know, in the beginning, the middle, and the end for me to get the most out of myself. And it's different in every distance, right? Um so, you know, when I actually write my my marathoners tr- um, pacing plans, just for an example, I usually have them go out right at goal pace for the first uh, 13 miles. And then I actually try to get them to dip a little bit under their goal pace, like by three or four seconds per mile from miles 13 to 20. Because no matter how slow or fast you're running, by the time you get to mile 20, you're tired, right? Like you are tired. And I almost always bet on everybody slowing down just a little bit. And so, quote, banking that time a little bit from 13 to 20, I feel like is the best way to try to run a, or the fastest way to try to run a marathon. Uh, if you, you know, thinking that you might be slowing down by mile 20, no matter what you know but all of like i said like it just takes practice you know in a half marathon that's not the kind of pacing plan i recommend um i mostly recommend an even strategy or even negative splitting the last six miles because you're running half the time your legs are not as tired at the end you know um and then like you said in the mile i totally agree with that your first lap is a bit fast and then your second and third lap are a little slower with the, you know, last lap being fast too, you know? Um, so pacing is key and it's really, you know, you can, you know, as a coach, you're supposed to tell your athletes what they're capable of running and how to pace the uh, race the best in order for them to run their fastest times, right? 
And as long as they adhere to that, hopefully it happens. But at the same time, you might get in that race with this race plan and you're not feeling good. Okay. And the way to salvage that is to know how you're supposed to feel during the beginning, middle, and end of a race in order to get the most out of yourself on that day. So you go on with this pacing plan for the marathon and you're feeling terrible. You know the effort right away, even though you're following your pacing plan, is way too hard the first six miles. Then because you're experienced, you would know to back off, right? Uh, 10 seconds per mile because maybe it's too warm out. Maybe it's humid and you weren't training in that kind of condition. And if you know that, then you can salvage the race uh, based on your effort because you know how you're supposed to be feeling in the beginning and then after mile 14 and then by mile 20, you know. So just knowing how it how you're supposed to feel during the race is really key because you can't expect yourself to line up and to feel perfectly every single race, although we want to, and that's the hope, you know, but if you're starting a marathon and it's already feeling hard by mile five, there's no way you're going to continue on that same pace and be able to make it to 26 miles running that same pace. You know, like we all know that. Well, if you're experienced, you know that. And so because you know that because you're experienced, then you would know to back off, you know. Right. No, absolutely. All right. So there's going to be certain races where people feel fine. However, say they have a segment of their, I say in the first third of the race, again, we're talking about any distance here, really, but I guess we'll go from 5K up. Um, first third of the race, they put in a mile or a longer, a longer time period, again, four to six minutes, where they're going faster than they're supposed to. Okay. And that I mean like fairly significantly, right? We're going 10 to 15 to 20 seconds per mile faster than they should go. And maybe it's purely by accident. We're, and for the sake of this example, we're going to say like it's still on flat ground. It's not like, hey, I was going downhill. Still the same effort, right? If we're talking about effort-based racing, then that's what you would expect. You would expect someone to go faster on the downhill than on flat ground. Um, okay, they made that mistake the first mile of 5K, miles four through six of the marathon. All of a sudden like, oh, shoot. I ran too fast there. What do I do next? Because there's a couple different options. And what, what do you normally try to advise? I try to advise to never to do never. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, that's really tough because you've kind of shot yourself in the foot when you've already, you know. So in, in the shorter distance race, if you do that in a 5K, it's not as bad because it's only... 15, 20 minutes. So usually you can still squeak out, you know, pretty good effort or maybe even close to what you were hoping to do, even though you went out too fast the first five to seven minutes, because you don't have much longer to hold that effort, you know? Um, And it's a fast race anyway. You're running close to your VO2 max. You're running pretty fast anyway. So going 20 seconds per mile faster than you were supposed to is, it would be, would be kind of hard to do even. Um, I've, I, I say it because I've done it. I, I am, I've gone out the first half mile, been like, oh no, okay, what am so I going to do? The first half mile, if yeah, if you're, I mean, if you're going at one mile pace, the first half mile of a five k, then uh, Godspeed. There's nothing. <laughs> I don't know what you can do after that. I mean, I don't know if you're making it to the finish line because <laughs> I'm not. I'm definitely not. You'd be crawling. Um, but okay, so let's but let's say it happens in a half or full where it's a little bit longer and you're not gonna be able to crawl to the finish line, you know? Uh or you know, it 
you don't know what you're going to be able to do over the course of the rest of the race. Um, so the best thing you can do is just as soon as you recognize you've gone out too fast and you're starting to breathe too hard and hurt is to back off and probably and back off not at your race pace, but at significantly slower. So let's say you went out 20 seconds too fast in your half marathon. As soon as you recognize it, you probably need to back off by 20 seconds per mile slower than what you were originally supposed to go out at, almost count, trying to counteract or counteract, you know, what you just did. And you'll never be able to absolutely counteract it because your legs will have been flooded with lactic or whatnot, you know, uh, but you can salvage some of it, you know, by just backing off as soon as you can to, you know, 10, 15, 20 seconds, even, you know, however, basically, however much you went out too fast, try to back off, you know, above your race pace um, until you feel like you are in a groove and could possibly get back on pace again. So I don't, so sometimes if it, if you've only, if it was only a few seconds or a few minutes, you went out too fast and you backed off, it might not take your body that long to recover enough to get back on pace. But the longer you go out too hard, right? The harder it is when you when you start to back off, the harder it is your body to recover, right? To get back to a place where you can get back on pace and feel, you know, um okay, right? But the short answer would be to back off immediately until your body has recovered, you know, until you feel like you can get back on the original pace you were supposed to be running at. Got it. Yeah. So you're not going to be recovering at your goal pace. You're not going to be recovering at your goal pace. Right. Exactly. So hopefully you can recover at like 20 seconds per mile slower than your goal pace kind of thing. You know, um, you're still moving forward, you know, while you're recovering, you know, at, at a good clip, you know, until you can get back to that, to your like, Till you feel recovered and you can get back to your goal base, you know? Um, but once you've done that, I mean, a lot of times though, what happens is and that it, what usually happens though, Matt, people just go out, right? 20 seconds per mile fast in their goal pace and nobody backs off until their body tells them back off. Right. So, and there's no <laughs> coming back. T- turn a left right? go with the half marathon group, go with them. Don't go over to the right. <laughs> it's hard to recognize that you've gone out too hard mm-hmm. until it's too late. Right. And when it's too late, your body's already slowing down and you ain't coming back to your goal pace. <laughs> you know, that is 99% of the time what actually happens. And it's a lesson learned, you know, it's just a lesson learned that you weren't as fit as you thought or that you just threw the waste race plan out the window, you know, um, or in a marathon, maybe you got your nutrition wrong and you started slowing down at mile 18, 19 because of glycogen stores. You know, it's all, it's, it's, it could be a number of different things, but usually what happens is you can't recognize it until it's too late and there's no coming back. And that's why pacing is so important. All right. And in terms of race execution, we can have another conversation later on the fall when we really talk about that, when these races are a little bit closer. Um, those conversations are always a lot of fun, too. Um, so I won't go too into the weeds with those kind of questions. But let's just talk about race calendar, because we are in a position now where a lot of people in certain areas of the country are going to be able to enter a lot more races than they were at this time last year, especially road races. Um, trail running has kind of been around a little bit more than road running has been, which has been fun. Obviously, you've do, done various triathlons as well. Um, 
just from a race calendar perspective, now that it's opened up, let's just assume someone's running Chicago or Boston or Richmond or one or one of those races in the fall. Um, not CIM because that's a little bit little bit deeper in the calendar, but in terms of some of those mid fall races, what should they be thinking about in terms of how often they should be racing and what potential distances? That would be beneficial in the lead up, not only to prepare them to race their best, but also just getting them used to racing in general. So first of all, I usually recommend running at least one half marathon, mm, three to five weeks out from your goal marathon race. First of all, the half marathon will kind of show you what fitness you're in, you know, like give you a reality check. And then it also just gets used to putting out a level of effort that you aren't used to in, um, in training, you know, and then if you're running a half marathon, you know, 20 seconds per mile faster than your marathon pace, then the marathon pace should feel relatively easier, you know? So, and the, and the, and the other part is, you know, run a couple halves, you know, before your goal race to try to get yourself a PR. Cause if you're in PR marathon shape, you know, you should be in P you would hope that you would be in PR um, half marathon shape as well, but definitely like three to five weeks out before a full, I recommend doing a half marathon. Um, and if you can do a couple half marathons before, you know, one earlier on in the training cycle, that's great too. Now you have, like you said, you have all these races though. You have Boston, Chicago, New York, all within like four to six weeks of each other. And I actually do have athletes that are running all of these. And I tell them, that's fine. It just depends on what your goals are. If you think you're going to PR every single one of those, mm, that's going to be really hard. And I'm not sure you can do it. You know, like I don't, I would not bank on that. But I have athletes going, okay, well, I want to run Boston for fun. So it's just going to be a relaxed run, right? So less stress on the legs, you know. Um, and then I want to PR at, you know, Chicago. You know, that's like my goal race. And then just see what I can do at New York after that. So, you know, so that's, that would be a good strategy, you know. But I would say you can do whatever you want to do because this is your training and your goals. And that's one thing that coaches get caught up in is trying to train athletes to the coach's goals. It's like, no, man, your goal, It's it, this is about the athlete's goals, you know, and I'm really a big on that because the athlete's goals might not be the coach's goals, you know, and coach has to remember that. Um, so so yeah, I work with my athletes. Um, if they, you know, and, and just I'm realistic with their expectations if they want to race a lot back to back like that. Um, and, um, but, and so they could do all those races, but a PR probably wouldn't be in the cards for all of them, you know? Um, but you know, here's the thing about racing frequently is, it does help you because like I said, you're practicing what you're trying to perfect. I'm I look at Sarah Hall. She races all the time. People love to hate on her about it, but it helps her. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing though. You're only as good, you know, race. You're only as good as you can recover. And, and that's the biggest issue. If you cannot recover from these races and you have to take a lot of time off after them. And then, you know, you get in really uh, crappy training and then try to race again and, you know, you're not going to race well. And then the cycle continues and that's not benefiting you. Right. But if you're, if you can recover well, 
you know, you've put in this extra hard effort, but you've recovered from it, you can bounce back quickly so you haven't lost any in in training, continue on, then that's how racing frequently can help you gain fitness, right? So you got to be smart about it. Um, and every athlete's going to be different. Um, but, uh, I, you know, there's, there's a difference between racing frequently and just having a few goal races on the calendar. And depending on the athlete, you just have to be realistic with what your goals are there. For sure. Yeah. I love the, love the putting the realistic part on it and saying, okay, what's, what, what, what's the plan here? What are we trying to get out of this experience? And what I've been telling my athletes is, Hey, if you see a race on the calendar that, that lights you up, like, I really want to do that race, put it, sign up, we'll make it work. Right. Might be one we go completely all out on. And it might not be, but if that one really is close to your house, you want to make it work, or it's a, in a place that you want to go, or you already are going, sign up, man. Like there's nothing, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. And it, I think it helps with the motivation too, where you're like, totally all right, all the, the calendar, you want everyone to be excited about the calendar ahead of them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is no doubt my athletes who race more frequently every six to eight weeks just gain fitness better. They do better. Like it's not an opinion. It is a fact. And it's, it's, it has a lot to do with the motivation and then maybe they have a great race. Oh my gosh, they're motivated. Okay. I've done this. Now what can I do next? Maybe they have a bad race and then they're motivated. Like, okay, now I know I need to kick my own ass in training, you know, and make these workouts happen, you know, and then it helps me as a coach. Cause I know exactly what we're training towards and I can make their workouts very specific. And then they know exactly what they're training for. And they're more apt to want to do the workout and try harder mentally to make them happen, you know? So, yeah, I think uh, you're right about the motivation part. And let's talk about when races don't go well, because I think that is can handicap people in terms of signing up, right? They've had bad experiences or they just have a, a history, not history of, but there's plenty of races in their past. And maybe those are the ones that their mind sticks to when they think about racing. They forget about the ones that were average or way better than average they think about the ones that didn't go great i feel like the like immersion therapy is the best way to handle that it's like okay then let's just race more will some of them not go great yes you better believe it it doesn't matter what we're going to do in training some of them may not go great and that's going to be okay and the only way you're going to understand that it's going to be okay is by living it not by thinking about it yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you on that. It's counterintuitive to, you know, think, oh man, I'm not going to race because I had this bad race and I'm scared and I don't want to do it again. Well, you're not just because you're scared doesn't mean that you know if you wait a year that this, the one race you put on the calendar is going to go well. You know, I mean, it's just like training. You've got to practice it. You got you've got to get over that. Um, and there's always another, well, now, always another race, you know, just like training. If you have a bad workout, there's always another workout. And, but we, you know, because we work out so frequently, we're not as down on ourselves. If that workout doesn't go well, it's like, okay, well, I'll do the next one. And then you do the next one and it goes great. And you're like, oh, I'm this high again. But because technically, you know, your races are um, less frequent, you put more pressure on yourself to make them uh happen the way you want. Um, so if it's not happening the way you want, then race more frequently, you know, put a race in the calendar every four to six weeks. And you can do that with for sure 5k and 10k, even half marathon. You could, you could almost race every four to six weeks in the fall and spring when the weather's cool. If 
if you wanted to. Now, it's, it is harder with the marathon, but the more you even do have, still the better stimuli, stimulus you're getting um, from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint that will help you in the full distance, you know? But, uh, but yeah, that, that's definitely the idea is if, uh, if you're scared of racing and it hasn't gone well in the past, then you need to do it more. Right. I mean, I think about like, you have four kids. I got two kids. If like you're, if you're going through the process of learning how to walk and you're like, oh, no, slow down. You got hurt last time or this thing. Or like last time you fell, you was like a complete yard sale. Clothes were going everywhere there. You know, shoes are flopping around, socks everywhere. Like, no, you just sit there. You say, it's okay. It's okay. They don't even understand the words, right? They can't talk to you. They're just learning how to walk. They're like, it's okay. Just keep going. It's okay. Right. You just keep encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. And like they, they figure it out. Why? Cause they see you walking around. They know it's possible and they just figure it out. You're not going to be like, Oh, well, hmm. Let's see here. April 3rd didn't go great. I guess we'll just try on April 26th. We'll give that a try. See if walking works out on that day. Right. Yeah. I mean, I always just tell them like, you just need to try again. You know, I mean, that is kind of, you know, I'll give them some reasons why it might not have gone well. I can fix their training a little bit to make it a little more specific based on what actually happened out there. But the bottom line is you just need to try again. You just need to try again. Right. So um, running doesn't owe you anything. You're not going to be perfect every, every, uh, every race you, you know, every race you do, but the resilient people always went out, you know, the, the ones that are persistent and resilient. All right. Last thing before we get going. Um, I don't know how you're feeling. This. I, I'll just bring up my feelings on this is that just like if you're if your whole expectation of why you're doing this is to run well at races, then you will be disappointed a lot of the time. And you will often then retroactively look back on a training block that while you were going through it, you felt good about and then feel negatively about it after the fact. So I think it's important to stay in the moment of like, all right, I'm doing this for the daily practice of, the run, of running, going through the training. That is the purpose. The purpose is not the finish line feeling. It's great and it's fantastic. And I'm not going to minimize that, but I'm not going to overblow it and make that the goal or that the whole, the whole purpose of the endeavor is that because then it ruins not only the in the moment experience, but you can play the mental game. Well, now I'm just going to judge the past year negatively. When I went through it, I actually felt positively about it. Yeah. If you're only in this for the time on the clock, you're not going to survive, you know, um, because it's going to throw you for a whirlwind, (laughs) you know, uh, you're, you're, you're definitely going to train really, really hard and have a bad race. Um, and, that's when you have to remember, well, I still love what I do. I still love the grind. I, it's still worth it, you know, and rewarding for me to go out and get in my workout and my daily run every single day. And that is the underlying reason why I do this. Uh, and yeah, you can still be super competitive and want to um, gain physical fitness and run fast times. And you will, but you have to, you have to keep that. You have to keep your underlying reasons for why you actually do this in mind all the time, all the time. Um, because if, if you're so caught up in the time on the clock all the time, it's such a, it's such a process and uh, an up and down process, um, that it's gonna, it's gonna rub you so raw that you're gonna not have any, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be, start to be this negative force in you. 
and you're not going to have a reason to want to continue. But as long as you can remember, like, I still love what I do. I love the feeling of, you know, um, accomplishing something on a daily basis. Um, then that's, that's really going to be a driving force for you to be successful in your racing goals when they eventually happen, because you won't be so hard on yourself after every single race, you know, um, whether it, if it didn't go well. There you go. Well said. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me here. Sarah and I both coach through McCurdy Trained. If you're looking for a coach, you can head over there to McCurdy Trained, uh, fill out their questionnaire, and they can match you with a coach, whether it's me, Sarah, or somebody else. Um, these podcast episodes are evergreen, so maybe Sarah's not accepting new clients right now, but she might when you <laughs> listen to this one year later. Who knows? So I don't want to say, like, are you accepting athletes right now? Because frankly, when someone listens to this, that answer might not be relevant. So um, head over there if you are looking for a coach. Sarah, thank you so much for hopping on today. Thanks, Matt. Always good to chat with you. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a blast. I will say, if you are looking to be coached by somebody, head over to McCurdyTrained.com today. Fill out a questionnaire. It's free. Uh, James or Heather McCurdy will give you a call, see if you're a good fit for the coaching service, and then match you up with a coach. You can either suggest one of your own, whether it's me, Sarah, or any of the other uh, amazing coaches on the roster. Truly a remarkable group of people. Or they'll just match you up with somebody who they think you'd be a good fit for. So I can't recommend that highly enough. Uh, I've worked with coaches over McCurdy Trained for a long time, and I'm so glad that I have. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.